But I do want to get into our final week here, our, our series of Roads to Revival. And I want to just congratulate everybody who's been on pace with us. How many of you stayed on pace in your reading? Some of you got your hands up. How many of you already completed your Romans reading? Anybody? These are the overachievers. You can scowl at them if you want. Uh, but uh, we, if you've been on pace, we just got three chapters left in our Roman study. You're reading Romans 14, Romans 15, Romans 16. And if you're behind, it's not too late. You can read the rest of it today. You can jump in and, and catch up where you left off. Well, what I want to do before we get into to the heart of the message, I want to open up with a scripture that's not in Romans because it really summarizes for me what we've been endeavoring to do. I want to read it to you. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. You can just listen. It says, thus, and it's always a good scripture when it starts with a thus, by the way. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. That's not all. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. That's not all. And walk in it. And that's not all. And find rest for your souls. I like the way God speaks here. It's like he gives an instruction. It's like, and then this. And, and don't forget about this. And this is what's going to happen. This is what we've been endeavoring to do for the last several weeks as we go through Romans is to really engage with what Paul has laid down. That by walking in the right way, by walking in the good way, that there's some rest that's going to come. That's what revival is, by the way. Revival isn't just a move of God's spirit. It's a renewal of yours. And so as you think about everything we've been doing, as every week we've said, hey, we are paving the way for a personal revival, I want you to know how that happens is by laying the groundwork for God to move. Now, maybe this is your first time here and, and you've missed out on what we've been doing in Romans. I'll, I'll break it down for you real quick because you can really condense Romans to four main points. There's four parts to it. Paul starts out talking about the state of affairs in the world. That's really the, the need for salvation. He says, this is the condition of the world. It's broken. It's messed up. All of us have fallen short. That's point one. Then he goes to, this is what God has done. That's point two. That's the good news of the gospel. The world was this way. But God loved the world so much that he sent his son. He, he didn't hold your sins against you. He didn't wait for the world to get its act together. He says, I love you where you're at. I've chosen you and I'm sending my son into the world to rescue you. Because of that, the gospel message, here's what that means. That's the next part, what it means to me. And, and that's where he gets into sanctification and that process and justification and how all that works. And then he, he closes out Romans. This is where we started last week by talking about because of what it means this is what we should do. It's really about our response. And so that's the foundation that Paul has laid for us to follow. And as we've been walking down this path and we close it out, I want you to think for a moment about the pavement. Think about the pavement. Last week I mentioned the, infra the infrastructure that 
the Roman Empire had and the buildings, but a big part of that was their Roman roads. Their Roman roads. Why was that so significant? Well, it's what allowed the empire to expand and for education and goods to go throughout the empire. Many of you, maybe in middle school, you remember uh, you know, learning about the Appian Way. It was this major road that connected trade and resources through the empire. Well, interestingly, it wasn't just that, that road that allowed Rome to expand and conquer and be such a power was also the very thing that allowed Christian missionaries like Paul and early evangelists to travel long distances and reach these new regions more efficiently and effectively. The, the road, the pavement, was the groundwork that enabled the gospel to go forward. And it was these very roadways that made it possible for revival to break out. So when we talk about paving the way for personal revival, what I want you to understand, that's how it happens. For the last several weeks, we've been laying the groundwork. We've been forming the framework, laying a foundation for God to move in your life. I said last week, doctrine determines duties. Well, doctrine also defines direction. If you want God to move in your life, you have to establish what you believe. That's why Paul has spent so much time saying, this is what the gospel is. This is the truth. This is what we're united on. Well, as we bring this to a close today, Paul is now going to caution the church in Rome as they're moving forward not to get tripped up. And he says this in two places. If you're doing the reading this week, Romans 14, he starts by saying, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another and instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Then in Romans 16, he closes out the letter. This is his final thought by saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. So, in other words, as you walk along this road, this road that Paul has laid, there are going to be some opportunities for obstacles. And <laughs> there's roadblocks that come along the road from without, and there's also some roadblocks that we can create from within. That's the idea we're going to look at today. Because Paul's been building a foundation for us to follow. But the question is, are you going to be a brick or a block? Brick or block. That's the title of this message. The church, the body of Christ, we are meant to be bricks. In 1 Peter, his letter, he called us living stones. You're stones that God is putting together to build a spiritual temple. Paul, of course, he used this idea in Romans, Romans chapter 12, but he used it in a number of his letters. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you, the church, when you come together, God is building the spiritual temple. He mentions this in 1 Corinthians 
he, he says that, don't you know that you're God's temple and you're God's temple when you come together. He dwells in your midst. We're meant to be bricks that God can use to build the church. But according to Paul, we can also be stumbling blocks. And if you're like me, I want God to use me to build. I want to be somebody that God can use to build his purpose and his kingdom in the earth. But I have to pause and ask myself, I wonder how many times have I been a stumbling block? How many times have I tripped people up? How many times have I been a roadblock to somebody's personal revival instead of being part of the pavement that God wants to use to get them there? The, the same thing that's meant to be elevating can also be the thing that eliminates progress. I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe. I'm sure most of us have. I remember in particular uh, one of the early apartments that Marissa and I lived in. It was this little townhome condo type thing. It's like our second place we ever lived. None of you ever lived in some places where you just know things were not done up to code. Have you ever been in those places? That was where we lived. And uh, I rem we had a basement in this house apartment. And you can tell it was somebody, it was the jankiest thing you've ever seen because there were stairs going down to the basement, but there was no railing on these stairs. And uh, we, there were countless times I would go down, we used it for storage, I would carry stuff down there, I'd have stuff in my hands carrying it up, and nearly every time I would hit my foot because there was no railing, there was no guide for where I was supposed to get to. There were times where I'd be carrying stuff down and I would misstep and stumble because there was no railing to put my hand on. And it's just interesting to me how something that was meant to be elevating to get me to another level, to get me where I need to get to, something that's meant to be elevating ended up being something excruciating because it wasn't formed correctly. Well, here's the deal that's going on in Romans. Paul wants to address this issue. He understands that the church is always going to be diverse. Always going to. I mean, look around. It's a pretty diverse church. Got a lot of different people in here. The church is always going to be diverse because you got different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, different opportunities, different uh, places that they're going to, different ages, different strengths, different weaknesses. The church is always going to be diverse. And it's because of those differences that there needs to be Theological unity. Theological unity is what matters. That's why he spends 13 chapters being meticulous about what we believe and what the gospel is. Because the crux of Romans is found in Romans 14. Even though there's been a lot of great stuff, the reason he writes this letter is because this church was divided over their differences. You find out about in Romans 14 is really over food. You might think, well, what's the big deal about food? Well, it was a big deal for them because the church gathered around a meal and you've got these Jewish believers, these Jewish Christians that are kosher and they've got certain rules and certain preferences and perspectives that they're holding on to. And you've got these Roman believers and Gentile believers that don't have the same background, customs, and experiences. And the Jewish believers have been gone for five years. And so they've just been kind of partaking of whatever makes sense to them, whatever's normal. And they come together to have church and there's this division. It's not to say that their differences were unimportant. It's not to say that their differences 
were pointless. Paul just wants them to see it's a preference. It's a preference. And, you know, we have the same thing in our church today. We've got differences, and we come, and it's like, well, you know, I really like music when it's like this. And somebody else like, I like music like that, and I like that singer, and well, I like that singer better, and, you know, I prefer this style preaching, and, you know, I like it when Marissa preaches better. I hear that, and it's all right. I know that. I, I, I like this, and, you know, I, I like that. I, I like small churches. I like big churches. I like it when groups happen this way. I like it when they do the baptism this way. Look, all those things have value. I'm not saying they're unimportant, but you got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and not let your preferences remove you from your people. That's what Paul's saying here. God's called you together. There's people you're supposed to be a part of, and your preferences are getting in the way. Let's be honest. We've all got different preferences. All of us in this room, we're different people, right? I mean, some of you like coffee. Some of you like Coke. Some, Some of you want a vacation at the beach. Some of you want a vacation in the mountains. Some of you like to listen to rock. Some of you like to listen to country. Some of you are saved. Some of you need to repent. The ones listening to country. You are the ones that. I'm just saying there's, there's differences in our life. Think about this. There's this team. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. There's a team called the Chiefs. They're, they do all right. They're coming around. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs, they've got different players. Players are different sizes. Players have different roles. They play different positions. They're different ages, different experiences, different races. Yet, I've noticed they all wear the same jersey. They all line up on the same line facing the same direction. They've got the same mission, the same goal, the same objective. And for any group to succeed in achieving their purpose, they've got to have unity. But what is it that unites us? It's our Theology. It's true for a team. It's true for a business. It's true for organization. It's true for a family. And it is especially true for a church. In fact, without unity, God's blessing, God's power, God's presence, God's anointing on a church is impossible. You want to see revival? I'm telling you, it can't happen without unity, it can't happen without alignment. It's a scriptural, Psalm 133, verse 1. Write it down, look it up. But it says, when we dwell together in unity, it is like oil coming down from the head, running down on the body. It's the anointing of God. It's the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It goes on to talk about, it says it's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming on Jerusalem. What that means, those things were separated far apart. Impossible things are possible when there's unity in a church. But some of us, in an effort to practice our righteousness, we end up creating a roadblock. And our job is to be a brick, not a block. We're supposed to elevate people, get them to a new level, get them to where they couldn't be before on their own, not make it harder for them to move forward. So Paul says, I want to give you some handles to help you know how to move people forward in their faith. 
And these handles that he's going to give us happen in chapter 15 between these two roadblocks. And I'm going to give you five of them today. They all start with the letter B, and here's the first one. You want to move people forward. You want to be a brick used to build people. This is the first one. You have to bear with. Bear with. Romans 15, verse 1, he says, We who are strong, say strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I thought it interesting in my study, that word failings here, the, the Greek word, Bible, New Testament course is written in Greek, that word failings, Greek word, is only mentioned one time in Scripture right here. It's the only time you see this Greek word for failing. What does that mean? Well, some places it's translated infirmity. Some places it's translated weakness. None of those are wrong. Failings is a great word. But what it's talking about is wrong thinking. We who are strong ought to bear with the people that are weak in their thinking. They've got some wrong thinking. They, they, they don't understand some things yet. Remember last week I said, you know, you, you don't change. It, the, it's not your, your doing, it's your thinking. That, that, that's what makes the difference in transformation. Well, I thought it was interesting, if that's true, that he tells us to bear with wrong thinking instead of fix their failings. Like if I'm Paul, to me it makes sense that you would say, hey, you who are strong, fix the failings of the weak. That's what I want to do. Hey, can I show you where you're wrong for a minute? Let me just point this out to you. I need to make sure you see this, and then I'm going to put the burden on you to change. But that's not what he says. Instead, he says, when you're strong, you see somebody who's struggling, that's your opportunity to be a strength. It's your opportunity to come in and help carry the load, not put another brick on their back. Really, if you break it down, it's called compassion. You see somebody who's faltering, you see somebody who's going through something, that's your opportunity as a believer to step in and lend some of your strength to those who are faltering. Not just do the thing that's most convenient for you. In fact, if, if you want to apply this to your life, here's a good question to ask when you come to church. How can I be a help? How can I be a help? God, who's the person you put in my path today? Where's the place that I can lend some strength you know, that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't do the thing that was most convenient. Certainly not. He waded waist deep into people's trouble and said, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'll help you with that. I'll carry that for you. See, burying with someone also isn't just putting up with them. I'm just going to sit here and endure it, wait for them to get their act together. No, that's not what it is. It's when you see someone's problem, that's your opportunity to partner. I'm going to get in on this with you. That's no, not easy. He says as much. He says, this is not to please ourselves. That's not to say that your preferences don't matter. It's just saying that your preferences are not to be the guide. It's not to please ourselves. Well, then who is it? Verse 2 says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good. To build them up. In other words, we should look at things with this lens. First, we have to bear with, but second, we have to build up. Build up. Now, how do we build people up? I'll tell you the 
easiest way, most straightforward way, is that we build people up with our words. With our words. Another way to put it, you encourage their strengths. Say encourage. encourage. See, many times what I don't want to do is encourage. I want to expose. I don't want to encourage a strength. I want to expose a weakness. How are you going to know where you need to get right if I don't point it out to you? I mean, isn't that my job (laughs) as a husband, as a dad? Just, hey, I don't know if you know this, but let me tell you something. No. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time to correct. Clearly, Paul was not above correction, especially when it came to false doctrine and wrong doctrine. Some things do need to be corrected. But the point he's trying to apply over preferences now is that it is much easier to celebrate a change in someone than to correct it. All of a sudden, this just turned into a marriage sermon. That's okay, because talking about how to have a powerful church and the church is the bride of Christ and you want to have a powerful marriage... Let me tell you something. It is much easier to celebrate a change than to correct it. I'm so happy that Marissa does this in our marriage. She is so good at when it comes to dealing with me. She doesn't go straight to the C's and the D's and the F's on my report card. No, she focuses on my A's. She, she, she looks at the things that I'm doing right. Like in, in our relationship, she, she is so good like she'll be, she'll say things like, man, I can tell you've been working, not even a question, like I can tell, man, you've been working out, you're getting so strong, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling great, I'm like, yeah, that's right, girl, you need me to carry in some groceries? What do you need? You tell me, tell me what you, tell, tell me what you, what you got, right? And I, it's just like, man, I got to build on this, I've got some wins under my belt, we got to make this happen. That's how you move someone forward in their faith. Hey, can I just say to, to all of you here, I'm glad you're at church today. Someone's like, well, man, I'm, I'm glad you came today. People are like, why? I mean, this is what I do. No, I'm glad you came. We can build on This might be your first time. might be your first time in a long time. Some of you, you've been coming every week in this series. I'm proud of you for that. I can see the change on you. I can tell in the room, man, when we're worshiping, there is something different in the atmosphere, the, the way that this church is going after God. And I want you to know, as your pastor, you're growing. I see it in you. You're moving forward. The fact that you're here is progress. So sometimes you just need somebody to, to point out the strengths and what God is doing in you. And what's interesting is that what Paul wrote in Scripture would later be discovered by science. This is actually called the Bright Spot Principle. You can read about it in different articles. It's a great book I love. It's called, called Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. It talks about the Bright Spot Principle. What is it? That many people, when they try to make a change, they're, they're trying to fix what's wrong, but it's more effective to focus on what's right. The Bright Spot. See, what we often want to do is point out blind spots, not look for bright spots. But, but bright spots, you can build on those. And what many of us need more than anything else is encouragement. We need encouragement. I don't know about you, I'm pretty well acquainted with my faults. Believe me, I got them. I'll give you a list. I know what they are. 
And I believe you're probably the same way too. What we have a harder time with is building on our strengths. And so when somebody can come in and say, man, I see this in you. You've got this on you. That's how we build up, encourage. It means to put courage in. It builds us up. That means you can help me and I can help you. That means when I'm preaching good, like you can build me up, right, by saying amen. That's good. That's right. You put your hands together. I'm just giving you an opportunity to practice. All right. I want to build you up. Here's why. Let's keep reading. Romans 15, he's, verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who will insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So we're going to bear with. We're going to build up. Here's the third thing. We're going to believe in. Believe in people? Well, that's not what I mean, but that's good. It's a, it's a byproduct of what I'm talking about. When I say believe in, I'm not just saying believe in people. I'm saying believing in what God has promised. We want to move people forward in their faith. We have to be people of faith. And one of the ways we do that, it says all of these things were written so that you could have hope. That means we have to immerse ourselves in God's word. This was written to help you. This was written for you so that you can have some confidence, some power, some hope in your life. And just speaking for myself, sometimes I've noticed it's so easy to segment, segment myself to a certain section of Scripture instead of really taking in God's Word, all of it. Well, I'm just going to stay in the Proverbs because, you know, that's practical. I, I can kind of understand that. Or, you know, I just like Jesus and just read the Gospels and I get so much out of that. Or, you know, the, uh, the epistles, the New Testament, it, it makes sense because that was written to the church. I just want to tell you, all of Scripture is written for you. All of Scripture is helpful for edification, to build you up. All of Scripture is helpful for correction, to, to change your thinking. All, all of Scripture is meant to, to be a guide, an instruction. What we read in Scripture is not just a story. This is real people with real lives, lived in real places during a real time, served a real God. And when we read that, it gives us insight. We, we know how God thinks. When we read it, we see how God responds. When we read it, we see how God wants to work. And when we read it, it changes our thinking. That's the goal. Because what we believe determines how we behave. One of the things I see when I read Scripture, and it's encouraging me, I, I see how patient God is with people. See, God is long-suffering. He, he is gives people not just a second time, but a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and often as long as it takes. And I don't know about you, but I need that. Because many times, every time, I don't get it on the first time, okay? Sometimes I'm going around for the seventh and eighth time. God, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm trying. I'm, and he's patient. And when I recognize that, it, it helps me with this fourth thing. What's the fourth thing? Well, we've got to bear with, got to build up, got to believe in. Number four, bless God. Bless God. Let me read the scripture. Romans 15, verse 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to change our mind with his word, but he also wants us to respond by giving him praise. Now, some people are going to think, we're talking about how to be a unified church, how to be a brick and not a block. Why is it so important that I bless God? I thought this was about people and how I act towards others. Well, what most of us don't realize that if we don't take time to get our thoughts right, get our mind right, get our mouth right, where our, our thoughts are towards God and his purposes, where we are responding with a grateful heart to what he's done, you are going to turn into a pessimistic person. And a, a pessimistic person cannot build someone else up. A pessimistic person is a taker, not a giver. you got to be a giver to be used by God. Now, I'll just say that you cannot be used by God without being a giver. And a pessimistic person cannot uh, call out the good things in people. A pessimistic person doesn't have the strength to bear with someone. A pessimistic person isn't going to believe in the promises. They're going to be so skeptical. Well, it didn't work for me. Your, your attitude, your, your mind and your mouth matter so much in the process of moving people forward in their faith. Psalm 19, one of my favorite psalms, it it talks about all the things that point to God. It says, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. It talks about creation speaks of his handiwork, the stars, the moon, the sky, all the things in the earth. And it goes down beginning to talk about scripture and how it points to his perfection and how his word can be trusted, how all of this leads to the glory of God. And you know how it ends? Psalm 19 verse 14 says, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Why? Because what's in our mind and what's in our mouth is part of the process of pointing people to Jesus. Just for a moment, just, just take inventory of your life this past week. Was there more blessing or complaining? Praise God for you. When I think about myself, it might have been complaining. I'm just being honest with you. Was there more blessing or complaining? Take inventory of your thoughts this past week. Was, was your thoughts just all the ways God has been good to you? Gratitude? Or, or was there more grumbling, complaining? I'm not even talking about your thoughts. I'm just talking about the thoughts that you took in. You're on social media, everybody's outraged about something, you're watching whatever your news network of choice, and I mean, the way that they <laughs> keep going is through manufacturing outrage. Yeah, that's, you want to feed on that stuff? The text messages that you're engaging with, the conversation at your din dinner table. What, what is the meditation of your heart? What, what, what's coming from your lips? James put it this way in his letter. He said, friends, I, I've noticed that the same mouth that blesses God is the same mouth that curses people. That's not right. There's a lot of stuff you might not agree with. That's okay. That's all right. Join the club. A lot of stuff I don't agree with, but I want to make sure that what's coming out of my mouth is glorifying God. I, I want to focus on the good things, put my mind on the things that God is glorified with, and remind myself of his goodness, remind myself of his grace in my conversation, I want to point people 
to the goodness of God. That's how I glorify him. I'm going to bless God. Why? Because in a divided world, we need a united church. Man, there's a lot of stuff that people are divided over, but we need a united church. There's not a perfect church. We know that. But there is a powerful church, and the powerful church is a church that is united. So, Paul, he ends this encouragement. I want to skip a few verses. We'll jump to verse 13. With a prayer and an aim for this church in Rome, and it's in verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the encouragement. What do we got to do? Got to bear with. Got to build up. Got to believe in. Got to bless God. Last one, be filled. Be filled. You can't stay in step with the Spirit without the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit. You, you need the joy and peace that comes from the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And may, maybe you've heard me say this before. I mean, here's the reality. Like, just because you're a pastor, you don't get a pass at trouble in your life. You don't, you don't get a pass from pressure. You know, you, you, you don't get freedom from affliction that will come on you sometimes. So in those moments when there, there's things that are happening in our life, I have to deal with it the same way you do. What I've found is when I'm overwhelmed, I say, okay, God, I'm asking you, fill me with your spirit. God, I'm feeling weak right now. I can't do this in my own strength. God, I need your strength. Fill me with your spirit. I, I need your help in this. See, the, the question isn't, have you been filled with the spirit? The question is, have you been filled today? If you're a believer, you, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need his power in your life. In fact, it's when you're overwhelmed, that is your clue that you need to overflow. God, come on me. Come in me. Fill me. Help me. Give me your grace. Give me your strength. Give me your power. Give me your peace. I, I, I need you in this moment. So the truth is you can either... Be bound or you can abound. You can abound in joy. You can abound in peace, abound in grace, uh, abound in love, abound in strength, abound in power. God, God wants to come and fill you with his spirit. So you got to make the decision. God, help me. Help me to, to bear with those who are weak. God, I, I don't want to be a roadblock to somebody's revival. I want to be a brick that you can build with. God, I want to carry the burdens of others. I want to encourage their strengths. God, I'm not going to be swayed by culture. I'm going to be established with scripture. God, I, I want you to fill my life so I can move with your spirit, God. Would you just stand to your feet? Let's worship God as we close this out.